Headline Hollywood. Entertainment cronies and cinema elitists hand out awards for excellence in moving pictures. Sometimes the winners don't hold up to the test of time. So we're here in the future to tell them how they got it wrong. This is Switch the Envelope. Welcome to Switch the Envelope, the podcast that aims at rewriting Hollywood award history. My name is Corey. My name is Jeff. Welcome to part two of this week's episode, in which we are discussing 1987's Oscars Best Director. Yes, I am very excited about this episode. Brand new category for us. Yeah, it is. Um, We have a brand new category, a brand new metric, which we will explain to all of you. I hope you got our, uh, our tweet. And our uh, post about what the <clears throat> about what the metric is going to be for you all, we put it out there for you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the metric for what it is that we are going to be going over for best director. So what you should do right now, okay? Here's the here's the here's the instructions. I want you to go on your phones, okay? I want you I want you to go look up at switch the envelope on Instagram, or I want you to look up at switch envelope on Twitter, and I want you to pull up the picture. Of the director metric mm-hmm. for how we are going to judge best director for this episode, and you have that in front of you, so you can play the at-home version yeah. of "Switch the Envelope." Play okay. along with us, will you? <clears throat> okay, you ready? You ready? Is everybody ready? <clears throat> you, I'm talking to you. You driving in your car as you're driving home from your fabulous day at work. Yeah. While you're driving. Wait, wait, wait. While you're driving, look at your wait, phone. Wait, wait, wait. Make sure you're looking down. Away from the road. No, we do not. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Phone. We do not want you to driving. do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Yeah. We are just joking. Yeah. This is for entertainment only. Do so. Anyway, if you want to play at home and you're not driving behind a car, please look at your phone and play at home. Switch the envelope. All right, Corey. Let's go on. So our revised metric for best director is still based off of a five finger rating system. It is in which uh, us giving a point. A full point per uh, category awards this director, in this case, uh, a single finger. And the cumulative number of fingers that they get is their total score at the end of the round. And that's what we judge based off of our scientific findings. Uh, what will be whoever scores highest becomes the person who deserved the award, the Academy Award, that is. So our first. So I'm just going to say that easier. If the person gets five I th- fingers. I thought I was. If the person very gets five succinct. fingers. <laughs> <laughs> if a person has five fingers, they get a better score than a person that has four fingers. Mm-hmm. And if we see at the end of it that one person has five fingers, another person has four fingers, then we switch the envelope to the person that has five fingers. Right. It's regular scoring rules, not ass-backwards tin cup scoring rules. Exactly. Although tin cup, great movie. We should switch the envelope to, to tin cup. It's debatable. All right. So the first finger would be awarded to a director if they showed a complete story. And what we mean by that is that the, the the story from beginning to end, once you start the story, once you end the story, once you end that movie, you feel completed. You yourself feel that you have seen all you need to in that movie. Yeah, it, a director in the film world is the storyteller, right? They are the person who guides the uh, the path of, of the story um, to its completion. And so being able to show a complete story, to be able to film and capture a complete story... 
um, is crucial. So that's one finger that they would get. So the creator of the Sopranos story would not get a finger on this one since they never ended the last episode. Also, Just saying felt incomplete. was a TV show, so we wouldn't judge it anyway, so no fingers for Sopranos. But I still felt like it needed to be said. Okay. It's valid. Completely valid. Don't stop. But second finger would be awarded for, um, did they elicit the best performances from their actors? Another gigantic role of directors on a movie set is making sure that their actors are focused, consistent, and motivated to give the best performances so that they can capture it on celluloid or, in most cases now, digital. Yeah, some uh, one of these examples of this. six celluloid. <laughs> one of the examples of this would be in Casino, how... Um, how the director took Don Rickles, who was a trained comedian, and made him into the the um, uh, what would he? I don't know if he he wouldn't he would be like the he would be like the side man to to uh, Robert De Niro. He's sort of like Casino. a mob he's lieutenant. Like, yeah, he's like a he wasn't part of the mob, but he was he was definitely not that kind. He was of definitely a... a dramatic actor in that movie, mm-hmm. and he he took that he took a comedian and turned him into a dramatic actor in that movie, right. and he played a great part. Right, D- directors uh, like there's a, a story. If if you are familiar with Ken Jong, he he plays uh, Mr. Chow in the Hangover movies. And he, right? he does a terrible job on the on the masked singer. I don't know if any of you ever. Oh watched yeah, that. don't don't watch him in any panel shows. But um, hilarious in the Hangover and uh, in the Hangover Two, I think at one point he's uh, berating a, a baby on set, and he sort of improved like, "What are you looking at, you little shit." To, to this like two-year-old and the two-year-old burst into tears there was a whole thing on set and Todd Phillips as the director comes over and is like oh my god what are you doing like that's terrible he's a little child say sorry to the child and he made him say sorry to the child and he made made him say sorry to the to the um to the mother of the child like why would you do that that's so terrible and then like corralled him as they were walking back to uh Ken Jong's mark and was like that was brilliant do it again so that's sort of the the game that a director will play where it's like hey that was gold, unexpected, loved it. Let's try to capture it again, you know. <clears throat> um, so the role of a director would be to pull those best performances, those unexpected moments, those wonderful, you know, line reads, the emotion, all of that stuff. So they would get a full finger if they completely elicited the best performances from their actors and it was consistent throughout. Um, a third finger will be awarded if they were able to create a classic or iconic cinematic moment. This right? would be anything that is remembered, something that you, yeah. down the line, 20 years from now, a retrospective montage. I mean, things like this sometimes are are not something you find in even Academy Award-winning movies. I mean, what's sometimes. a... Sometimes it's something you can you can think back to, okay... Ferris Bueller uh, on, the, on the parade float. Yeah. You know, iconic moment, singing Don Cushane. Uh, Forrest Gump running from the gates of his uh, <laughs> his uh, his mansion down the street, you know, iconic moment, um, stuff like that. You know, as a filmmaker, you really want to to make those impacts, and the director is in charge of you know making sure that those those things are are put you know on on film. Um, we should also say that there's also there's other th- no yeah it's fine let's go no nope, yeah. So if they if they were able to create we just iconic, picked, we just picked the most B movie like lame, uh, 
examples okay, it's, of that. It's the I was going to say something like the face when, coming out of the water in the abyss. It's a T one thousand. I was going to say like Shawshank Redemption when he actually comes out of the sewer oh, and yeah. rips all his rips off his shirt and he's sta- and he's up almost like. Uh, Jesus posed towards the sky. Right, it's the fan are shot the, in Apocalypse Now. It's the it's the the in Tombstone when they're walking down. All of them are walking yeah, down the, the middle of the badass fucking scene. <clears throat> yeah, they're walking they're down going the to middle the OK of the, yeah, Oh, yeah. such a badass scene. Yeah, so those and the fires moments. burning behind them in the there's like the there's like a fire burning behind them as they're walking down the middle of the street. That's what's going on, right? You know? Or speaking of fire, the fire that Savannah is burning in Gone with the Wind when they're racing with the uh, the uh, wagon. Yeah. In front of the fire. Like those iconic moments in cinema um, is a really important part of making a film and making a great film is when you take back something with you as as a viewer that sticks with you. Um, So that would get them another finger. A fourth finger will be awarded um, if there was a clear sense of the filmmaker's style. I think... um, you know, we're, we're a little spoiled now, having sort of been products of the 90s, that we got a lot of directors with a lot of style. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> like Quentin Tarantino is the right. main one you think of. Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, like that, that you know, sort of class of filmmakers all had a very specific style. Um, but every director should have sort of a style. You know, there are some movies where you just go, who directed that film? Or you think, like, ah, anybody else could have directed this film. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to have been a that person's film. You know, so that's going to be an element that that gets tossed into the mix where it's like, yeah, clearly that was a this person's film, Um, you know, when they uh, sort of put their stamp on it, their filmmaker style on it. And then number five, as always, would you recommend this film? Would this be, you know, part of the parlance of that filmmaker's, uh, you know, uh, resume that you would be like, yo, if you like that filmmaker, you should see this movie. Right. Love it. Okay, so do that's it. that's our do it. revised metric. Let's do we it. We should jump in. Let's do it. To let's it. do it. Okay, so let's do it. Should we go back over our nominee list? No, let's do it. And our alternates. Let's do it. Let's do it. So yes, let's do it. Yes, <laughs> we're we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so we're doing All right. it. All right. So the nominees for best director in 1986 were Oliver Stone for Platoon. Woody Allen for Hannah and Her Sisters. Oh, man, that's the, other, that's the only other one I knew. I meant James Ivory for A Room with a View. <laughs> Woody Allen for Hannah and Her Sisters. Roland Joffe for The Mission. Oh, I knew that one, too. Oh, damn, David Lynch. I, you don't have to tell me James, sorry, David Lynch. David I totally know David Lynch in Blue Velvet. Right. So those were the nominees. Oh, Blue Velvet. Oh, Blue Velvet. Blah, 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 blah. So slutty. I'm so slutty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and our alternates... For, for this round are uh, Stand By Me's Rob Reiner. Yep. And uh, Pet Cemeteries. No. <laughs> <laughs> no? No. All right. Um, <laughs> maximum gun. Overdrives. No. No? <laughs> it's uh, Stephen King. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, there's some shitty films that came out this year. Yeah. Um, and then we also have in this year, other than that, we also did Tony Scott with Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm standing mm-hmm. by this one. I'm standing by Top Gun. We are not judging the acting. We are judging the directing. Okay. 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 So uh, who would you like to start with? I say we go right for the balls with the mission. Roland Joffe. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, yeah. Okay, mm. out there, Roland. playing. everybody playing the home game. How many of you have seen the mission? So four. Raise your hand. Four of you Raise out there. Four, I, I counted. Four people. Four, four people. people have seen the mission. Um, so we can skip this one, right? It's it's De Niro in a period piece where he's a, like, it's like a missionary. We don't have to explain it to him. Shit. Let's go through the I, metric. I, uh, okay. <clears throat> Did they show a complete story? Yes. It's a typical period piece. Very pretentious. From mm-hmm. the '80s, one of the movies they made just to make an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> I agree. It is one of those. It's, it's kind of a an Oscar grab. Um, it could have had De Niro. It could have had Daniel Day Lewis. It doesn't matter. It it is prime for some Daniel Day Lewis. I think he was at the time. He was in the movie uh, The Other Nomination. He was in a view room with the room view. with the view. He was in that yeah. movie at the time. He was doing the lighthearted British comedy. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't at the point where he was doing the Mission type movies yeah. yet. He had to wait till Last of the Mohicans a couple years later. Yeah. Um so yeah, I mean a complete story is is had. The the director did his job in telling a story, but you know, it it's it's just sort of whatever for me. Uh did they get the best performances from their actors? You think De Niro really sold being a I think Jesuit actually Rob De Niro was great in this movie. I think he w- I think the director pulled a great performance from Robert De Niro. I think that's why it's an Academy Award nominated mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not Academy Award winning movie. No. But I think it was a movie where the director actually pulled some great performances out of the film. Yes, uh, but this is one of those movies where, like, I just didn't care. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think this movie is a good movie. I think there's, you can go back and watch this movie, and it's, stuff, it's a good like, movie. I, d- I just didn't. I didn't. It was. I was honestly. I was so thrown off that Robert De Niro was in this movie. It was like it took me out of it, and I know that's a fault. Like it shouldn't have affected me. Like I should be judging this like in an unbiased way, but like Robert De Niro doesn't make si- like my brain did not compute the fucking meet the Fockers guy, <laughs> like. Doing this, I I don't know. It, it, but but you gotta understand, like this movie is not just Robert De Niro. He, it's all the people that become super famous after this. So it's Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro, Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. uh, Aiden Quinn. Is that his name? Aiden Quinn. Mm, maybe Aiden Quinn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aiden Quinn, and then Jeremy Irons. Yeah, I mean, the oh, act- Jeremy Irons is already famous, but I mean the actors are are really good actors and to his credit De Niro is is good but like like I said I just I didn't care I didn't connect with this movie hardly at all um you know it I just it fell flat for me I was bored mostly um best performances I mean I I would say that like by default having that cast you're gonna get great performances so like did he have to do a lot Uh, I don't know well, I mean, I think that this movie is a powerful film that people were trying to tell a story about, you know, um, working with indigenous people. Sure. But missionary uh, work in general. Yeah. The way it was the way. Pe- yeah. The, mm-hmm. um, but at, it's a little inquisition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so he it's fine. We'll, we'll give him points there. Uh, did they create classic or iconic cinema moments? I, for the life of me, can't really think of one. No. Yeah, no. Um, 
let's see. Was there a clear sense of the filmmaker style? I couldn't tell you. It felt like every kind of movie that's like that to me. Yeah. You know. It felt like my last of the Mohicans. <laughs> yeah. Um I last I, of, I last of this kind of movie if you ask me, you know what <laughs> I'm saying? The last of this kind of movie. Um and would you recommend people watch this film? No. I I hate that I watched it once. I don't hate that I watched the movie. I, I just I was just... so bored. Like, I, yeah, I don't hate it. I'm being dramatic for dramatic effect. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend this film. All right, so tallying up Roland Joffe's... I'm, I'm pretty sure we're fucking that dude's name up. Um, his score, he got two fingers. Respectable, but, you know. That's lower than driving Miss it Daisy sucks. status. It really it sucks. Yeah, we should do Green Book one day and see if Green Book holds up to late driving Miss Daisy. Oh, you know what see, I'm saying? See which of the driving which of the driving movies, movies? is yeah. uh, better. Yeah. Um. All right, who do you want to go to next? I'm really feeling like we should go to um, Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Do we have to include this one? <laughs> yes, because it was nominated. Woody Allen. Uh, uh, he was nominated for Hannah and Her Sisters, which is, um, it's an okay Woody Allen film. You know, it's weird. This is actually not one of my favorite Woody Allen films what's, at all. What's there weird. are some films that I actually like. Yes. The older I get, I feel like I should appreciate Woody Allen films more because of the sort of like, um, like adult type themes and situations that they're dealing with. So like, I feel like I should relate more to some of their anxieties and neurosis and stuff that, that uh, Woody Allen often brings up in his films. But the older I get, the less connected I feel to those characters and those people where I'm just like, you're just a bunch of assholes. Well, I feel like, okay, here's the problem. Every time I think you, you and I have a problem watching Woody Allen films Hmm. because we're looking at them from, 2019, looking back on a Woody Allen film in the 1980s. And they, when they came out, nobody knew that all of the Woody Allen films were going to be exactly the same. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this film, it's technically a holiday film. Technically, it's got, you know, three holiday Thanksgiving dinners in a row. So it's technically a Thanksgiving movie. You know, it's not home for the holidays, but it's like, technically, it's a holiday film. Mm. But... The problem with this is that it's a typical Woody Allen film where you got everybody, somebody's got a quirkiness about them. Somebody's sleeping with somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's It talks about like modern day problems in a weird neurotic, with neuro, weird neurotic sensibilities. And it's a typical, it's just a typical Woody Allen script. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's anything different about this. I mean, it's, Get me a pharaoh in it. What it's, it's like? I love. I, I love the tightness of the dialogue. Every uh, everything he does has tight dialogue. Yeah, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I like that aspect of it. The I'm sure it's a a uh, charm for the actors to like. It doesn't stand out above anything that. else. I don't even know why it was nominated, other than the fact that it's Woody Allen. He's Woody Allen, yeah. and he the the Academy the loves him. Clothes, he does not love the them. clothes were not off the Emperor yet, mm-hmm. so they just nominated him every time sure. he did a movie. Uh, they still kind of do, but you know. Um, so, did they show a complete story here? Did Woody, yeah. Woody Allen take you through a whole story? I mean, yeah, but I never, I never feel like his stories are that complete. I always feel like they're a little bit kind of put thrown together. 
but I think that's part of his charm. Yeah, I mean, that speaks more to, to sort of his style, which I, I guarantee we're going to give him full points for filmmaker style. Like, yeah, this is a film, a Woody, Woody Allen film. You can yeah, come he's in got, he's got halfway a, through this film and be style, like... A lot of style, a lot of style, but I don't, think he, I don't think he really shows a full... This film is not done, meant to show a full... A full... Um, story. It's meant to jump you into a story and show you the aspect of these people's lives. It's not meant to show you a full story. Yeah, but in in that he does sort of carry a full, in, you know, so story through the segment of their lives. So like, yeah, by virtue of it, I I would give him you know my half of the point. But like, you know, I see I see what you're saying. Like it's it's meant. To, it's not meant to be a full story. It's meant yeah. to be a a vignette. In time of these people at at certain moments at their Thanksgiving dinner, these three different Thanksgiving dinners, and what they're talking about in their lives. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more to the the dinners, but like, yeah, you know, I don't know, point or not, half point, half a point. Okay, uh, did he elicit the best performances from his actors? I think he always does. I do. I think okay. he's. I think it's yeah. one of the things yeah, he Mike, does. Michael Caine. You know, we got Michael Caine, Diane Keaton, Barbara Hershey. Is Barbara Hershey in this movie? Mm-hmm. Mm. Diane Keaton? I thought it was Barbara Hershey. Is it Diane Keaton? I fucking don't know. Um, everybody in this movie looks the same. It <laughs> like, was one thing I was having trouble with. Like, Hannah and all of her sisters, I was having trouble trying to figure out through half of this movie, like, which one was Hannah until they said Hannah. And I was like, oh, cool. That one's Hannah. Which one's Holly? So, like Guide. I said, it doesn't have a per, a good yeah. like. Not Diane Keaton, who's who's the lady? I fuck it. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, <laughs> Not who cares. Who cares? Uh, there was um, a huge issue I had. Oh, the, you're talking about the one um, from Parenthood, Diane Why 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 West West? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Um. I think that he got them to say his words well, like he got the best of them, you know, saying the words in his script and like being able to interact um, with that rapid fire, you know, real tight stuff. I think that they were trying emotionally very hard and convincingly in most parts. The problem I had with this and why I'm not going to be giving him a point for um, the second finger is... There is absolutely no chemistry between anybody in this film and any of their other counterparts. It's a bunch of like shells of humans interacting with other shells of humans that okay. I, that, I can that, see that just felt so disconnected and not in a way that that was the way it was supposed to feel. Like Michael Caine has an affair with his with Hannah's sister in yeah. this movie. And they're supposed to have this like torrid secret love affair for each other. And it's told mostly through voiceover. And I did not get any chemistry between Michael Caine and the uh, the sister at all. I was like, why, he why put, are they suddenly well, making out? Like, like one of the most sexless people in the world to it was, play the... It was so weird. Yeah, it was so weird. Like, it didn't make... It did, they, nobody connected with anybody the else. The only other person you could pick that was, that was worse than that would be, like, the dad from Friends. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not I'm not gonna give him a point here. Are you? No. No, not best performances. Um 
Well, it's because it's weird. Like Woody Allen has gotten some great performances out of people, and and also he gets the the pick of Hollywood when he does. He does. He does. Uh, Did he create a classic, any classic or iconic moments cinematically? No, the movie's forgettable. I I agree. There are plenty of other Woody Allen movies that have those classic, iconic movie moments, like uh, um, Annie Hall has a bunch of those moments um, where you you see a still frame and you're like fucking Annie Hall. You know, even like um, what's that Paris uh, the the one with Owen Wilson? Yeah, that one's okay. There's there's shots in that movie where you're like, yep, that's that's that Paris movie with Owen Wilson, <laughs> although you can't remember the name of it. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't capture none of none of the stuff in there captured my imagination. There's a funny the funniest scene, the one that made me laugh out loud, is there's a moment where Woody Allen's character is uh, trying out Catholicism, and he has his like. Uh, gentile kit that he starts putting out on a table and it's this total like oddball humor in the middle of this movie that isn't really oddball humor uh where he's putting out like his uh his crucifix and his and his bible and a bunch of other stuff and then at the end he puts out a a, a loaf of wonder bread and mayonnaise <laughs> it's like that completes being a gentile <laughs> well um, just to go back just to go back real quick about giggle. the movies that are his that kind of have more, that are more lasting. Forget Paris? No, that's not his. Um, Midnight in Paris. That's Midnight the in one. Paris. Yeah. Midnight in Paris. There's also Husbands and Wives is a really good one. Husbands and Wives. Yeah. Husbands and Wives. I mean, this is all above Annie Hall. Everyone bananas. knows. Everyone all always knows Annie Hall. I didn't like bananas, but um, Manhattan was one of those ones that sticks out. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Deconstructing Harry we talked about, which is not that would a not good be one. one. Yeah, I don't like that one. But um, this film, Bullets felt... Over Broadway, I think is a very classic. Yes, Bullets, Bullets Over, Broadway. Over Broadway. This this film felt a little more in the realm of the deconstructing. Mighty Harry Aphrodite film. was one of his better films. That was more that felt less Woody Allen and more like a real film. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out in the nineties. That was later Woody Allen. That's uh that's got uh what's her face? Um, that's got uh, Alicia Silverstone. Mm, no, is it no? Alicia, so, I it's, it was Alicia uh, Silverstone. Mina Sav- no, what Mira Sorvino? Is it Mira Sorvino or is it who's who's in that film? Click on it. Mira Sorvino. Is it confirmed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, thought it was Alicia Silverstone. She was sort of Alicia Silverstone before Alicia Silverstone, so I can see where. No, she was Alicia Silverstone after Alicia Silverstone. She's older, isn't she? She didn't hit. Be- she didn't hit first. Yeah. All right. Alicia Silverstone was like early nineties. All right. Uh, did they? Um, was there a clear sense that it was a Woody Allen film? I think absolutely. <laughs> yes. This, this had Woody Woody Allen stamp on it uh, from from the jump. Uh, the, one of the main things is uh, everybody sounds like Woody Allen. <laughs> All of the characters. Um, would you recommend this as something that somebody who's starting to get into Woody Allen should watch? No. Yeah, there are. I mean, we just mentioned a whole bunch of movies that I would recommend before I would even get to Hannah and her sisters. You know, so I'm also inclined to not give him anything. All right, so Woody Allen for Hannah and her sisters gets a one and a half. Cool, good on you, Woody Allen. All right, who's next? We want to go James Ivory, a room with a view. That's an affirmative from Jeff. He's doing sign language again guys you can't see that um but i can so i'll confirm he he said it's okay 
James Ivory, uh, Room with a View. This is a this is a really dry British uh, British comedy, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very dry British comedy that honestly isn't that funny. No, no, not at all. Yeah, I don't really like it that much. But uh, we'll we'll go through the metric. Let's go through the metric right now. Oh, did it show a complete story? Sure. Why I not? think. <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. do let's do it justice, man. Let's do it justice. It did a complete story. It was it was a very good complete story. There's a there's an arc. There's a beginning and there's a middle and there is an end. We do know it's a complete story. Sure. And it's the beginning of time for Helena Bonham Carter. Sure. Yeah. Very very young Helena Bonham Carter in this. Um, so complete story. Finger. Did they elicit best performances from their actors? You know, I don't know if that's true. I can't tell. Because they've got British accents and they're they're like all wait, really wait, good actors. Did you just say you can't tell if they got a good acting? They were good no, no, at no, acting no, 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 because no. they had British accents. There, there's there's this uh, like what happened when Paul Hogan was on with an Australian accent Australian that must have really thrown you. Doesn't doesn't uh, <laughs> you know give the same vibe as like you know, like, uh, th- there was a study where, like, people will take somebody with a... Like, there's certain accents where people will take them more As seriously. being more intelligent. Yeah. You know, and British Southern accents are not considered as intelligent as a British accent. Yeah. Right. You know, British accent is, is one of those where, like, there's a bunch of British actors having conversations and they're talking over each other and there's, like, mixed dialogue scenes that happen in this movie. And it feels like, yeah, everybody's doing a really good job. But I don't know if I'm falling victim to that sort of psychological phenomenon or not. <laughs> Well, no. A lot of this you know? is, is like is like humorous. It's very humorous and very uh, satirical, but it's not satirical in a uh, American <laughs> satirical yeah. way. It's more like in the importance of being earnest kind of way. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's the kind of thing that I like to watch. Academy in this year actually loved it because it got second. It was second most nominated. It was awarded. It was tied for most nominated. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just the second, but okay. No, they but it got eight, and Platoon got eight. So yeah, um, I don't like this film, but you know, if if uh, uh, let's let's I can't say on. I can't say anything bad about the performances, you know. So I'm I'm inclined to give them a half a point. Yeah, let's do half point. Right, half a point. You know, he he got us through. He got the actors through. Uh, let's see. Did uh, did he create any classic or iconic cinematic moments? You know, like when that one dude tells the the lady not to drink. Lemonade because it'll mess with their tummy. For those type of iconic classic. <laughs> when they open up the the window that they have in their room and they go, "This isn't the window that we asked for." Mm, yeah, oof. Yeah, you know? classic, classic. <laughs> so that's a no. And by the way, folks, that is actually what happens in the movie. Yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, British satire. Uh, was there a clear sense of filmmaking style? It kind of felt like. Many other British films that I've seen. Yeah, I didn't see a, a clear-cut yeah. type of style. I mean, unless this becomes the sort of like model for all of the other films that I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it did. I think there just I don't wasn't. Know. I think this was just a typical. I think this. I don't think this was a groundbreaking style. I don't think it was like uh, anything. Anything that would that would set this director apart from other directors at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was nominated for a fuck ton of awards, but I'm not sure that they're going to study this one in film school. Is no, I don't think so. And actually, it looks really dated, too. I mean, it is a period piece, but like... No, I mean, no, I don't mean that. I mean, like, when you play it, it looks very dated. Oh, I see, I see. I mean, the actual, like... It looks like it's on a VHS when you're watching it on oh, well, HD. So does Hannah and her sisters. Yeah, well, that's all Woody Allen films, yeah, though. Yeah, they, they all feel like they're all... Actually, all Woody Allen films feel like uh, th- like they're only viewable truly on Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, let's see. Uh, would you recommend this film? 
I think it's clear. I would not at all. No. Actually, I do not like this film. All right, so tallying up James Ivory's score, he's good enough to be tied with Woody Allen. One and a half. Woohoo! All right, moving on. Let's should we go blue, blue velvet? Blue velvet. David Lynch, Blue Velvet with uh, okay, Dennis David Hopper Lynch is, here. <clears throat> David Lynch is one of my favorite directors, especially mm-hmm. from the '90s. He's uh, he's great. Uh, I enjoy David Lynch's movies. I enjoyed Blue Velvet. Um, I I saw Blue Velvet uh, at a young age. Like I feel I feel like uh, I may have been too young to fully appreciate Blue Velvet. I absolutely was because I didn't understand it when I first saw it. Mm, yeah, uh, but I I remember watching it thinking like. Uh, thinking that it was a good film, but just beyond me at that moment. You, you know what I'm saying? When I when I first saw it. Yeah, I will. You know, I gotta say that I really got into David Lynch when I was in high school. Yeah. And um, I had to reacquaint myself with what movies he has done, and the only one I haven't seen is Eraserhead because mm. I remember it being everyone telling me it was terrible. Um, but I mean, Lost Highway was came out when I was in high school and that was what got me into David Lynch mm-hmm. and after watching Lost Highway I saw Mulholland Drive um, when that came out I saw I mean I was really into Twin Peaks I don't know if you mm-hmm. were into that I watched Twin Peaks when it was on actually I didn't no I watched it when it was actually on right which was it was fucking weird man yeah it is weird it was super weird and I was really young but I was watching it with my older sister so I was watching that all the time um were you ever into David Lynch? David Lynch is uh, sort of hit and miss with me. There are some movies that um, uh, I think are really, really solid. You know, um, then there's other movies like Mulholland Drive that like. Well, Mulholland Drive is great until the end. It gets the end is terrible in that movie. Yeah, like he just he sometimes he does stuff that is just weird for weird, and it doesn't add anything to the experience for me. You know, um, well, the ending of Mulholland Drive. In if, okay, if you don't want to be spoiled, don't some, don't mention some it. Some tiny little there's, tourists. There's fucking like, there's like a like a glowing fucking like mm-hmm. thing, and it, it's stupid. And I, I don't know how that connects to the story at all of Naomi Watts and anything else. But okay, yeah, it it didn't make sense. That's what happens. You know, great movie until uh, until then it was yeah. a great movie. So he's <clears throat> he's a, he's a little hit and miss for me. Um, Though I do think, like his ability uh, to create a style, um, to get his actors to do certain, you know, to pull from his actors, I think that he's he's uh, you know made a mark for that. It's just sometimes his story stuff gets a little little wonky. So let's run him through the metric for Blue Velvet specifically. Okay, he also uh, got, he also has kind of a hard on for Kyle McLaughlin. He does. He does. <laughs> He uses him in everything. Kyle MacLachlan, though, very underrated actor. I, I, you know, I've seen him in so many interviews, and he's just—he's kind of an ass. I don't know. He may be an ass, but like, uh, not no, not an ass. He just seems very, very proper. Mm. I don't know if he's an ass. It just always comes across as being, um, uh, maybe uh, pretentious. Pretentious, yeah. Mm. Mm. Okay. Uh, did David Lynch uh, show us a complete story in Blue Velvet? I think that his story is, I think every single one of his stories is not a complete story, but that's his style. Yeah, this is hard. Like, it's kind of like, very different than Woody Allen. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of like Woody Allen, but I think. Very different. (laughs) This is like, this is almost the way, it's almost like uh, Quentin Tarantino ish, 
but he's doing it on purpose. He's doing it to mess with you. Yeah, see, the difference with Quentin Tarantino, though, is he does tell a, a full arc. Out of but order. But he'll tell it in a jumbled way. David Lynch sort of just plops you in a universe, some shit happens, and then credits roll. Yeah, he does it on purpose. He, you know, he messes with you He on keeps purpose. you a little off kilter yeah. Um, oftentimes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, sometimes it bugs me, like in Mulholland Drive. Um, it, it really bugged me. Um, Blue Velvet, not so much. So I, I'm fine with the story that I got in Blue Velvet. Um, you know, there's ups and downs. There's a peak to the story. You know, there's a, there's enough there that I feel like we got a complete message of what he was trying to say. But I don't know. For you, what, what do you think? I don't know. I, uh, yeah, point. Yeah, okay. Plus, Dennis Hopper carries that whole thing. He does. Yeah. Dennis Hopper, this is his greatest film. I mean, next to Speed. Right, yeah. Uh, did he elicit the best performances from his actors? I think we just made the point clear that, yeah, like... I he, think he this movie... all of Dennis Hopper. Yeah, I think he got a lot of Dennis Hopper, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I think Kyle McLaughlin, nobody would know who the fuck he was if it wasn't for... David Lynch? David Lynch. Mm, yeah. He, I mean, Twin Peaks made him. I mean, Blue Velvet made him. I mean, yeah. Uh, did he create a classic or iconic cinematic moments in this movie? I would say absolutely. Dennis Hopper Come and on, Nitrous this Mask. Is like Blue Velvet. I yeah. mean, it's just all of things you can go back to and just say, oh, that's from Blue Velvet. That's yeah. from Blue Velvet. That's yeah. from Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Even the opening sequence is from, you can see it in other things. People will will mimic it in other things, and you'll be like, like that's Biodome? from Blue Velvet. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's not the opening sequence. The opening no, sequence no, oh, no, 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 no. I'm saying that Biodome... Biodome does the... Does the... Oh, I'm slutty. Either. Yeah, the, the uh, nitrous... I'm the nitrous sauce. Yeah. Um, mask thing. Uh, let's see. Was there yeah, a clear... We're, 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 we're pretty tied to Biodome. That's oh, we, kind of our... You know what? Biodome tops our, our comedies. Yeah. Our comedy list. <laughs> Number one, Biodome. Um... Did uh, don't worry out there. We don't love Polly Shore. It's just po- Biodome, Biodome has a special place. And uh, when we were young, young teenage boys, we watched the fuck out of Biodome. <laughs> Oddly enough, I I heard somebody. I was watching something on uh, one of those YouTube, one of those YouTube things where people are like, "Hey, this is the top list of people that crashed in the '90s or something." And they said that uh, Stephen Baldwin. Unless you're unless you're a, a unless you're a teenage boy from the '90s, you have no idea who. You have no idea. You've never watched a Pauly Shore movie. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's true. I was a teenage mm. boy in the 90s, so, you know. I would say that teenage girls also watch those. I don't know, man. I don't think they related to... No? Hmm. to after, after Son-in-Law, I don't think anybody really related to a Pauly Shore movie. Maybe not. Son-in-Law, by the way, uh, one of the best Thanksgiving movies. <clears throat> true. It's a very short, short list, though. <laughs> it's like... Planes, Trains, and Automobiles at one. Home for the Holidays. Home for the Holidays. And then number three, Son-in-Law. Yeah. Okay. uh, Was there a clear sense of filmmaking style? There's always a clear sense of David Lynch's filmmaking style. Absolutely. He is all style and um, I think a lot less uh, technique. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. he's mostly style. He's like 90% style and like 10% technique. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, But allows... You, you know the the audience and the performers in his movies to exist in his weird little fucked up world um and i think sets up that environment nicely as a director to let the the shit just happen you know um yeah. would you recommend blue velvet to I anybody would, who is seeking to certain david people. lynch 
to certain people who want to have their mind kind of scrambled a little <laughs> bit, I would recommend it. You know, a lot of people who are just like, you know, if, so if you're a person who watches CBS and you're really into Blue Bloods, sure. I would not recommend, friend, you know, no. You know, if you're into procedural dramas, uh-huh. I would say don't watch Blue Bloods. It's not your cup of tea. Yeah, it's going to be weird. If you drink tea, I would it's, say it's not your cup of tea. It's going to be weird. So is this like a half a point? Eh, why? Just because, like, like you would yeah, recommend it, half it but pen. not yeah, half to everybody. You know, it's a selective crowd where you'd be like, "Oh, wait, you." If you're if you're someone you who's like really into, into like films and indie mm-hmm. and like and like something that's gonna be a weird mind scramble, I'd recommend it. If you're somebody who just wants to enjoy like a like a like a good film, no, I wouldn't. Ever All right, that feels like a half a point. All right, <clears throat> tallying up David Lynch's score. Four and a half points. Strong, really strong point. Strong front runner. All right, moving on. Who do we have left? We have our alternates plus our winner, Oliver Stone in Platoon. Not in Platoon, but for Platoon. Uh, so we're doing Platoon. Platoon. They uh, Oliver Stone. Uh, he wins best uh, director for this. Uh, Platoon also wins best picture for this. Uh, you know, wartime film has a whole bunch of people in it. We talked about it last week. Charlie Sheen's yeah. best work, I think. Definitely Charlie Sheen's. Well, I mean, Wall Street was probably his best work. Wall Street's very good too, but um, you know, this this is in the time where Charlie Sheen was uh, trying serious to to do stuff, and then he hit Hot Shots and no, he actually discovered Blow and no, what did he, he did something else before before this that was his comedy thing. That was huge. well, there was there was like. Uh, this is that movie where he's like in a high speed chase. Chase. Uh, there's working men. The one that's called Chase. Is it called Chase? <laughs> the Chase. The Chase. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a uh, working. Dude, don't dog on the Chase. The Chase work, was actually a really good working movie. men or something that he did with Emilio, his brother Emilio. That was uh, what was it called? Uh, what was it called? Men, working? men at work. Men at work. Men at work. I don't remember if that. That was kind of funny. It's kind of. <clears> I mean, those movies are just like. Dorky movies. I'm just saying he didn't quite stay at the level of like Wall Street and yeah, Platoon. Yeah, I don't really know why. I mean, I feel like there's some other things in there. Maybe uh, uh, I'm guessing a lot of cocaine, based off of what we know about Charlie Sheen now. This is just my guess. I think we all knew that. Lots of. Cocaine. I think we all knew that before too. I, I <laughs> don't think there cocaine. was any. Uh, I don't think there was any. Um, what's it called? I don't think there's any question about what there what it was before, but. Mm-hmm. Um. So did oh uh, major league major was, league, major league was in right. there. Yes. That was his big. That was a big comedy, dude. That was yeah. a, that was a great comedy. He was, was good. Great comedy with good. Tom Berenger. I didn't it really does, connect. Does I didn't really Berenger connect that until just now. Yeah. The the pl- platoon. Um. Uh. What's it called? Reunion. In, I didn't really uh, connect that, baseball. man. I didn't either until you said it at this moment. Damn, I loved major league. Yeah. If only Wesley Snipes was also in Platoon. Unfortunately, he did not play Junior. It was a. It was That's funny because Major League only came out three years after Platoon. Right. Damn. Hmm. All right. Uh, did, and you know, you know oh. he was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off too, right? Do you oh. remember that? Charlie Sheen. He plays a part in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's a convict that talks to the sister. That's right. When he's, he's in, the when guy he's in, in jail, in, when she's in, in the police station. Yeah, when she they arrest her. That's right. And he's like, so. Uh, What's your what's your brother's name? And then she's like, you know, I have someone you should talk to. And she goes, if you say Ferris Bueller, mm. I mean, and he's like, so you know him, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, basically playing himself. Uh, did they? Did uh, Oliver Stone show a complete story in Platoon? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to see Charlie Sheen's story, and then you got like young mo- guns. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. All I'm just I'm just remembering yeah, the movie. Charlie Sheen was also did. in, in young, young Guns, but <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Um, a complete story for Platoon. Yes, I I think he did tell a complete story. Um, did he elicit the best performances from his actors? Uh, absolutely. I think some, most, yes but I don't feel it was as consistent as it needed to be. There are some moments that Charlie Sheen is 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 great, and then there's some moments where Charlie Sheen is soap opera acting. I and, absolutely disagree. I think a, this movie is consistent. Weird way. I think this movie is consistent, and he's, he's great in this movie. I think overall he's he's great, but I'm saying like there's there's still a little bit of inconsistency from. No, I think I think this whole scene, movie. Scene scene. I think this whole movie. There's nothing that pulls me out of it. I think the director got. All the because I'm you, you get, I'm thinking of this as the cast and as the cast I mean there's never a point in which I'm not enthralled in what's going on in the movie. There were moments where I was taken out. No, I wasn't. Yeah, where I was just like, ooh, hamming up this scene. Why? I mean, know? where? The I mean, there's like reaction shots of Charlie Sheen. Like, okay, so like there's, there's a moment where like he freezes when the ambush is happening, where it's great. Charlie Sheen, he's like hiding behind his thing he like can't believe it's true it's like his first patrol and they get um ambushed that whole stuff is is great then there's some stuff later where he's just chewing up the fucking jungle scenery and um sort of hamming it up some of it like his emotion doesn't doesn't feel right and then there's other moments where he's yelling at the guy for raping the girl in the in the village that feels completely genuine you know like it, it just there was moments for Charlie Sheen, where I just didn't connect. Uh, That's if we were going just by like what where he Charlie was, Sheen's acting is. He was dead behind his eyes. No, but it's up to the director to like squeeze the best. He knows that his actor can do that, but some days we didn't quite get there, and I felt that a little bit. And not just Charlie Sheen. There were some some other actors where it was like, ah, we weren't quite getting in there this day. Yeah, I don't see that at all. So, yeah. well, all right, half point. Uh, I think you're being unfair about Pit Platoon, but okay. It might be, but that's that's my opinion. Uh, did uh, Oliver Stone create any classic or cinematic moments? Absolutely. Uh, w- Scene where Willem Dafoe shot. Willem Dafoe coming out of the jungle and throwing his arms up, and then he falls and the helicopter passes by him in yeah. the air. Ugh, absolutely iconic. Kay. Absolutely iconic. One point. Uh, was there a clear sense of Oliver Stone's filmmaking style? I think there was. He's got a specific style, a specific uh, message that he puts through all of his films. And he's had it through it. This this kind of launched his message for the rest of his career. He he has a very preachy message through all of his movies. Yeah, and I think it's always he's always established that as his style. I think that was part part of it. Like the Charlie Sheen narrative voiceover stuff, um, felt a little too. Some of it, like all the letters to his grandma that he's that he's writing, um, that you hear in, in voiceover. Some of those were just like a little too preachy. Yeah, but that's your take on that's your take on your. See, the one thing is like that's your take on your opinion on the on the way his, and if you like the movie or not. Not if you thought the director was 
was accomplishing well, what making, the director was trying to do. He was making the choice to do all of that stuff in voiceover as opposed to having the characters talk about because he also wrote the film, so he had control over that. So that is on Oliver Stone's shoulders. You know, some, yeah, that's his style. Yes, yes. He did the same thing with JFK. No, no, no I'm not. I'm not disputing that it, it didn't feel feel like it was his style. I'm. I was going back to the sort of like performance aspect of it. There, there just wasn't a hundred percent there. It was like I have no. I, I literally have no idea 90%. what you're talking about. When you keep saying it's not not ninety percent there, you just keep saying there's. It was ninety percent there, but you have no reason why. There was just moments where I was pulled out of the movie because of performances. So, getting the best performances but from his actors, mostly, but not all. But you already you already judged him on that. I know. But now we're on another thing. Yeah, his style. His style. Yeah. And judging him on the actors still. I'm giving a point for style. Okay. Yeah. De- definitely not as not as heavy stylized uh, for Oliver Stone's that we're going to come in to know and love. Um, because yeah, he hasn't come into his, his own career. yet. Right. He, this, but you can still see seeds of Oliver Stone drafting his sort of voice as a filmmaker yeah. uh, here. Uh, I think that's clear, so I will give him a point for style. Uh, would you recommend this film? Yeah, I've rec- I have recommended this film. I think the movie's great. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. I don't I would not I would not say like yeah, actually yeah, I would. That's I'm a little I'm a little on the fence about this. You wouldn't tell someone to watch Platoon? Nah, like Okay. It, it as far as war movies go, I, I there are better war movies that I would put in front of this movie that I would direct people to. Okay, so you have to keep it in the same genre. So what other war movies, think of three other Vietnam war movies you'd you give someone you'd recommend somebody other than this movie. I mean Apocalypse Now comes comes to mind. Okay. Um as being the sort of top uh Vietnam war movies. What other fucking Vietnam war movies are there? If you have to dive deep into movies to think to to recommend than Platoon, I don't know, man. I think that's I think you should give it the point. Oh, fucking Full Metal Jacket. That's one of the ones that was on sort of the, the tip of my tongue there. Um Yeah. I don't know, man. If you have to think this hard on on a movie to I'm, recommend, I'm looking. This. I'm looking. Um, yeah. So, like, it would probably be third or fourth. Think that yeah. means you got to give it a point. I don't think so. All right, just give it a half point because it's annoying. Give it a half point. Oh, fucking dead presidents! Although dead presidents is not a, war, a Vietnam there's movie. A, there's a whole ear necklace sequence. They're like Vietnam. It's vets. got like 20 minutes in Vietnam. It's about bank robbery. It is about bank robbery. That's a good movie, though. Yeah, by the way, we we are soldiers is a Vietnam War movie. We we were soldiers born yeah. on the 4th of July. Yeah. Um Good Morning Vietnam, obviously, but I probably wouldn't recommend Good Morning Vietnam. Good, no, over morning, good morning Vietnam is not a uh it's not a soldier movie though. It's a it's a movie about That's what I'm saying. Like I wouldn't recommend that over, you know. Um when I think of iconic like war movies, I think of World War II movies before I think of Vietnam War movies. Well, I was thinking of Oh, no, Bat 21. Mm. Mm-hmm. Bat Twenty One is a fantastic movie. Either way, half point. So tallying up Oliver Stone's numbers, it should get a full point. He got four points. Respectable. All right, moving on to Rob Reiner and Stand by Me. Um, did he tell a complete story? I think he told a more complete story Absolutely. than Stephen King told. 
I don't. <laughs> Stephen King told a way better story, but oh, yeah, the, the told, short story. Yeah, you don't think that that he expanded it? No, I don't. Nicely I think the and, no. the, movie, the book, the body, was actually pro- was a better story, hmm. even though it was only a novella. It was a better I've not, story. I've not read it. It's one. Okay. Of, it's one that's on my list of like one of these days. I'm going to read the Stephen King short stories. Uh, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, complete story. Yeah, I I love the story. It's a um, a movie that I go back to uh, a lot, and one that I look forward to showing my son someday, when he's old enough to sort of understand what's going on. Um, did he elicit the best performances from his actors? Yeah, I think it's very difficult to work with child actors, and uh, I think he created a story that somebody can go back to, like you said. But I think he had performances from Will Wheaton and River Phoenix and Jerry O'Connell and people that you will... Corey Feldman, Corey even? Feldman, mm-hmm. and you're able to go back and look at those performances and you don't think of them as child actors. You think of them as as just giving you these great performances. Great performances, yeah. That I don't think most people can achieve those kind of performances even as adults. I mean, some of those, the scene just in the treehouse when they're, when they're playing pad hand, they are doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... The chemistry between those those boys, um, you know the uh, what he was able to pull out of those four kids, you know, um, anchored by uh, uh, River Phoenix, who is just that's one of the reasons why it's so sad that he died so young, is because you saw all of that potential in him to be, you know, somebody like uh, Johnny Depp or you know um, one of those young like a. Leonardo DiCaprio. Although. I was going to say Leonardo DiCaprio. I think Leonardo DiCaprio filled the void when he died. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he kind of looks like <laughs> I think him. He and, took the, yeah. I think he took the parts that River Phoenix would have played. Potentially, potentially. You know, um, yeah, you, you could see all of that in Stand By Me, um, where there's a fierceness to to his you know, performance, and he's, he's a young kid. I mean, I think he was like 16 when he made that film. Um, uh, yeah. Something like that, 15 or 16. Yeah. Um, you know, Will Wheaton is one of the best things Will Wheaton's done. <laughs> yeah, Will Wheaton didn't really do anything after that. He he like discovered the internet. Not he didn't discover the internet, but like he like uh, before anybody else did. He figured out what the internet was and has been exploiting geekdom ever since. Um, but yeah, I I think one of the most challenging things they say uh, for a director to do is work with children or animals. And he worked with four. Uh, young actors and made it feel like you weren't watching kids on screen. Absolutely. And then he, he also got to work with Kiefer Sutherland in an earring, so that was cool. Um, did uh, did he create classic or iconic uh, cinematic moments? I, I would say if you don't know some iconic or classic moment from Stand By Me, you're, you're not paying attention to movies? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moments that are just... Um not just classic, but they're just um, moments you think of when you think of that movie and kind of grin. There's a there's the baseball bats on the mailbox. Mm-hmm. There's a scene when they when um, River Phoenix pulls a gun mm-hmm. out of his because he thinks they need protection on their on their long journey right. and it goes off by accident because they don't know how to they don't know how to shoot a gun because they're fucking stupid kids. Yeah, <laughs> and they shoot a gun and they both freak out. Yeah, and the faces that they make is just pure comedy mm-hmm. and um and genuine so yeah, genuine very yeah. genuine because they make them at the exact same time and they freak out it's a great it's a great um they sing uh like the lone ranger on the the train tracks that yeah they when um 
Corey Feldman sings the Lone Ranger song. With, like, it's just them being kids walking, you, you know, like they're about to go do some real grown ass person shit. And um, they have this moment where like, some of they things- get to be kids for us for a moment just before their entire world changes, you know? Yeah, and a lot of those characteristics of like like the character of Teddy, like those weren't in the book. So I mean mm-hmm. the the character of Teddy being so gung ho about being a Marine and mm-hmm. so into, you know, yelling or singing Have Gun Will Travel and That's what it is. Have Gun Will Travel. Have Gun Will Travel and and singing like um and all about being a Marine and jumping off the tracks and terrain dodging and mm-hmm. all that stuff are are little parts of the movie that you remember and you think about everyone <clears throat> I think about I mean I grew up near a train. Mm-hmm. So I always thought about that stuff every time I every time I pass a train, like mm-hmm. how they these kids are talking about train dodging and stuff and how scary that was. <laughs> right. Right. Um so absolutely iconic moments that he captured. When he when the kids are on the bridge of the train oh, and yeah. they're running down running oh. across the bridge and they can't jump off the train and they have to get they have to run across the bridge and the train is running behind or is chugging along behind them and they they have to get across the bridge before it hits them. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Yeah, yeah. And and an iconic cinematic moment, I think. Absolutely. We give him a finger for that. Uh was there a clear sense of his filmmaking style? I think Rob Reiner's film style is it doesn't come from what we would think of as film style like Quentin Tarantino where you have out of order or he's not stylistic. Stylistic. But what he has is where he has something where his style is the way in which he tells the story or way in which the the, mm-hmm. the film is shot so that the story is um every time that Rob Reiner tells a story there's a there's a gentleness to the story Mm -hmm. it's a story where there's not a lot of it's usually starts with a naivety from a character that grows into its grows into its own self and then um learns something that didn't know from before so you do have that in um so it's usually a coming of age story but it's a coming of age story um at whatever whatever how do I say that? I still don't know what I'm say- saying, but I know what you're trying to say, but I I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm trying to say that Rob Rob Reiner tells stories of of wholesomeness mm-hmm. of 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 the story of somebody who is who is a wholesome per- person that has gone through a tragedy. Right. He mixes tragedy with a uh, with somebody who is either naive or something, and he puts somebody through a tragedy, and then talks to him about <clears throat> how do we get them into being whole again right okay so um in stand by me there's all these people who you see empathy you see you see tragedy and then you see how they become you you will live with it in stand by me the main character has his brother has died which is john cusack right. but it's his brother died in the beginning right um in he also did sleepless he did sleepless in seattle sleep in seattle the the wife died of the main character if you see um uh, uh, what's it called? Um, when Harry met Sally, you've got people that have trouble with relationships. They mm-hmm. cannot find love in their in their relationships. All of his stories, there's like there's something where people are having struggles and they yeah. they need to get through them by and they use their life in order to get to f- something. Whatever they're doing in their life is helping them get through their struggle. 
Yeah, he's he's got the like heartwarming <clears throat> redemption story down. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what he uses with everything. Well, see, like the the problem with Rob with Rob Reiner is uh, he's because he's a little more subtle as a filmmaker. You know, he's not the Quentin Tarantino. He's not the David Lynch. He's not you know that um, his essence of his filmmaking is often recreated. It's often copied, and I don't really think that. I think you can tell a of Rob Reiner film every time you no, see no, no, it. No, no, I'm saying that there are a lot of filmmakers that took those cues. You know, he's one of those filmmakers where, like, when you think about, uh, like, that phrase, they don't really make movies like that anymore. Um, he makes films that you would think about when you're like, you know, like this film. Like, there isn't that kind of a heart with realism That's what I tied should say. together. You know what I'm saying? Like, <clears throat> they just don't make Rob Reiner films anymore. Is one of those, you know, is really kind of the... You know what? You just, you just you just reminded me, or not reminded me. You just you just gave me the word. It's he makes heartwarming films. Yes, but heartwarming. It, okay, so like I like to think of him like a uh, a richly colored bow on a box that's been dropped a lot. Yeah, that's cool. You you know what I mean? Like, but that's what heartwarming is. It's like it's, right. it starts there, starts out with like tragedy and then yeah. just turn. And that's what I mean. Stand by me. They're going to see a dead body. Right. But you know, along the along the journey, they learn a lot of stuff, a lot of things about each other, and they learn a lot of things about about how they're each themselves, of themselves yeah. are are a lot more complicated than they thought. Yeah, I would say the only person at the time that was making stuff like that um, would be like Penny Marshall, who is like contemporary of Rob Reiner. Right, they came sort of <laughs> you know out of the same ilk, considering that they were on the same show. Sure. Or at least Penny Marshall was the sister of Rob Reiner's executive producer on yeah uh, All in the Family. Sure, there's some connection there yeah, with Penny Marshall, I'm and sh- I'm sure there is. There's a, f- a full connection there, but Penny Marshall's films also kind of have that like these people have. You know, are like a little worn around the edges, but but she's going to give you a heartwarming wrapper to their struggle. That's not going to make you feel sorry for them, but it's going to make you feel lifted up. You know, um, but I think she, you, you know, comes from that sort of that same place that Rob Reiner is coming from. You know, um, so yeah, are we giving him a full point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Full point. Just so you know, the uh, executive producer was Norman Lear. So no, you, um, were you thinking I was thinking of, of uh, Happy Days was the was it Rob Marshall? No, Rob <coughs> Reiner. Fucking who's the who's the other who's the guy Marshall? I only know Penny. Gary Marshall. Gary, I keep thinking Peter, but that wasn't that wasn't right. Gary Marshall. How how we couldn't figure out Gary Marshall's name? That is beyond me. Thank you, Al. Um, would you recommend Stand by Me? Absolutely. I think as I'm recommending far as, it now. If you haven't seen Stand By Me, go, go fucking Stand watch it. I think as uh, coming of age stories go, it's one of the best. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. One of the best movies. It really is. Um for coming of age story. Big also up there for uh, coming of age story. Um You know, Pen- Penny no. Marshall Penny Marshall's a little more lighthearted. This one does not have uh, this is way better than Big. I, I agree. No, 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 I agree. But I'm saying that um, Big is also a really good, like, it's one that I would recommend. Like, oh, you want to see Coming of Age Story? Like, see a boy, see what it's like to be an adult, then go back to wanting to be a boy 
it's like a cool twist on that theme of like growing up. Yeah. You know. And then then he gets the opportunity when he realizes I'm not ready to grow up. He gets to go back. You know. It's funny that Rob Reiner did uh, because because I loved this movie Mm -hmm. so much. And then you you find out he did like um Princess Bride. Mm -hmm. You're like fuck man. Mm -hmm. Love that movie too. Princess Bride is great. Another one that's very heartwarming, but those characters are. They're just a little. And guess what? It starts worn, out with a tragedy. A weathered. Starts yeah. out with a tragedy. Absolutely, as you wish. Yeah. Yeah. Wesley dies, mm-hmm. or if she thinks he dies. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Rob Reiner telling up his score. He got. Uh, he got five. He got five. Perfect score for Rob Reiner. You can tell <laughs> we we love Stand by Me. All right. So Top Gun. We're going Tony Scott. Tony up. Scott. Now I know Last Corey. One. Just <clears throat> to put this out there, Corey's going to be very, very uh, bitchy about this movie. So I love Tony I get, Scott. No, you don't like I, Top Gun. I love you don't Top, like Top Gun. Gun. Top Gun is is a really fun movie. I don't believe that it belongs in a conversation about Academy Award winning things. Why? Other than like best Why? original song. Why? What's or, wrong like, with that? Editing. What's wrong with that? By the way, it was nominated. It was nominated for. Uh, I think it it won an Academy Award for original sound, best sound sound editing, and I think best sound mixing. Um, I don't think it won. I think it was nominated. Perfectly valid. It did win one award, but um, I'm not sure what what it won for. But uh, perfectly valid for being fucking awesome movie for a technical uh, Academy Award having Danger Zone in its fucking name. Right, original song should have won. No, just having Danger Zone in its name. I think uh, I'm not sure. Danger Zone was nominated. I think Using the Berlin song may, may have been. No, it was. Nominated. It was Berlin won. Take my breath away won. Oh, best, is that okay? Best so original that's the song. Oscar that it got. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Best All original right. song was was uh, Take My Breath Away. Um, deserved, you know, to be nominated for technical Oscars. Uh, for. But dude, look, like, you can't think of it this way. Stuff. It's you can't real think of fun, this, this really way. enjoyable. Dude, you cannot think right. of it this way. Let's just Get... see let's just see how he does on, on But the, when uh... you put it through the metric with bias, you're you're like Donald Trump. All right? You're like fake okay. news in this shit. No. Yes, not, you are. No. Okay, let's First go. of all, don't ever do that again. <laughs> don't ever do what again? <laughs> Compare me to Donald Trump. All right, well then don't Donald Trump yourself. I'm not going to Donald Trump. I'll give it a fair shake. It's just that we're talking about Top Gun for like best director. Meh. Um but I'll, ta- I'll be fair. I'll be fair to it. If we were talking to about it for best supporting actor, that'd be a problem. Okay, we're talking about it for best director. That's kind of that's valid. Let's try. Right. Uh, did Tony Scott tell us a full and complete story? Did he show it to us? Full yes, story. Full I think, story. Absolutely. There are character arcs. There uh, is uh, drama. A death. There's a death. There's a death. Yeah. There's tragedy, which they deal with very lightly. Um, they don't deal with it lightly. <laughs> I'll push back on that. They do not deal with it lightly. <laughs> they have a very large part of the movie deals with how the main character cannot go back to work because he he lost his his flying partner. Yeah. And yeah, he doesn't I, I he doesn't right. go back to work until the very very last minute. And in fact, he quits doing what he does. He quits his quits the school. In yeah. fact, he never returns to the school. Well, he does. No, he doesn't. He never returns to the school. He's a fighter pilot. He just goes back to... No, he goes to teach a class. And you go back to become a teacher? No. No? I thought that's what he says at the end to, no, the, at the, to very... the lady. He's like, oh, I don't think I'm going to... Oh, in the very, very end? Yeah, You're talking about like very, the, very cre- end the, of the credits? Movie. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, 
All right, it doesn't matter. I, it's irrelevant. <laughs> um, did he elicit the best performances from his actors? Mm, yeah. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we have to think of this on like a on like a scale here. Okay, nineteen eighty, nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty six, six. Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. His best performances at this point were Risky Business, Top Gun, and Cocktail. Did he elicit the best performances he from his was actors? Also in that, I would uh, say that sports yes. movie, the like football movie. What football movie? He was in like a football like uh, all the right moves or something like that. I mean, he was also in Outsiders, but he played a very, very small part. He wasn't a he wasn't a superstar until he this was, movie. No, but he was a lead in all the right moves. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't a superstar in this, no. this movie. This movie made this him. Movie, well, yeah. Th- well, God, I don't know. He was he was pretty much a superstar by Cocktail. Cocktail House after this movie. Oh well, then yes. But I'm saying this like, movie. but so so think about this. So think about that. This okay in Cocktail, he was terrible. Yes, he was terrible in that movie. Real bad. So I mean, I mean, he was good in this movie. He just wasn't Academy Award winning, but he was good. And I don't, Anthony Edwards was great. Anthony Edwards did a great job. And when 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 Goose dies in this movie, it's not B movie. I mean, you you actually feel for him. Yeah, I think that this gets from me the same kind of criticism that Oliver Stone got, where there's just not a like a real consistency throughout the entire movie. Yeah, there is. They're consistently just frat boys. They're consistently frat boys the whole time. There's no time where you're like, yeah. there's no time where you're, there's bad acting. There's no time where there's like exceptional acting. It's just always the same kind of frat boy attitude. It's it's all just middle of the road vanilla. For me, as far as like their Top Gun is middle, middle of the road vanilla. The, okay, so the action sequences, the editing, the way that they've presented. That's what we're talking about is directing is great. And, and the way the movie's put I'm together. We're not talking about actors' the acting. performances. He did not get. You like, can't base gold. You can't base the. You cannot base the, perf- sure the director b- completely on the acting. That's that's not fair. If you director. can't. You can if you know that those actors eventually go on to do stellar work. Do you think things. Tom Cruise is going on going to do stellar work? I think that he's You're done. A, you are completely. I think that he's done. You know some stuff insane in like, um, you know, the Vanilla Skies and the Magnolias. Vanilla Skies and sucked, stuff. and so did the movies sucked. But I'm saying like Tom Cruise was not good. Was good in those movies. No, he wasn't. He was terrible. He was good in those movies. Tom Live, Cruise die, the... repeat. He's fantastic in that movie. Tom Cruise is always the same in everything. He's Tom Cruise. He is. He's Tom Cruise in everything. But he's, he's got, never changed. He's gotten Top more Gun. solid at being Tom Cruise. He's he's always Tom Cruise. <laughs> My issues weren't necessarily with Tom Cruise in this movie. More Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer's great. <sighs> Val Kilmer is great in this. He is. I don't like Val Kilmer in this movie. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the director. No, no, no. I'm saying I don't like what they did with Val Kilmer in this movie and his character and the way that they went about having him portray it and stuff like it just feels like I know that it's sort of tied to this nostalgia and like yeah that's fucking Iceman or whatever but like it's so one dimensional and not interesting as a character but you have to think about what the guy's supposed to be like these guys are supposed to be military have you ever been around military guys not a ton they are fucking one dimensional a lot of them it's marginalizing our <laughs> men and women of service. It's not marginalizing. <laughs> a lot of men of service. Just men of service, not the women. Women are very deep. A lot of men of service and women of service, when they are in they are their environment, have to be 
um, one-dimensional to be able to um, think about a guy who's dedicated his entire life to being in the service. They're portraying a heightened sense of what is this guy going to be like? It's the movie, so it's going to be a heightened sense of a guy in the military. Yeah, I mean, I think for... It's supposed to be like alpha male, guy in the military, what's that guy going to What's that guy going to be like? I guess. That's what they're trying to portray with Iceman. He's going to be like the alpha male, the guy that is the best at everything. What is he going to be like? He's going to be like Iceman. And that's what they're trying to be. See, but Tom Cruise is also alpha male who's good at he's everything. He's alpha male, but that's why his name is Maverick. He's alpha male that won't pay attention to everybody. That's why his friggin' name is Maverick. Right. Because he doesn't want to pay attention to anybody. So he's the alpha male who is also a dick. Who doesn't want to pay attention to anybody? Yeah, who will, they are who will all. all the they're all at their at their base level the same character, except for Anthony. No, uh, they're not. Anthony, they're they're Goose. No, neither Goose is, is my favorite character. And Tim Rosovich also is got a is is a good character. He's very dimensional. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just like there's slider. You know, slider character. There's, um, there there are. A lot more examples. Remember, Tim of, Robbins is also in this in this film. There, are, there are a bunch of other examples of movies where there's a like ensemble. I will say of there is a major racist part aspect to this film that I don't think anybody notices. That the one black guy that's in this film, his name is Sundown. Huh? They named him Sundown as his character. Hmm. Well, then he loses points for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most likely that was the. Uh, that was the script, but yeah. Um, yeah. So half a point. Okay. After all that, yeah. Um, did they create classic or iconic cinematic moments? Absolutely. Come on. No doubt that there are classic <laughs> and iconic cinematic moments in Top Gun. Absolutely. I will not dispute that. No. Um, was there a clear sense of a filmmaking style? I think that. I think there was with Tony Scott. Come on, the. Uh, I think that it was well executed. Stop doing the faux like like thing when I know you're just gonna give a half point. If you're gonna give a half point, just give it half point. I'm waiting for you to stop hitting the <laughs> the thing before I continue. Yeah, All the noise of you moving that microphone. It's not me. It's the intern. <laughs> the Danny, yeah. stop it. Um, Tony, Tony Scott. It, it's weird because like there are sections of his career where his style completely shifts. Okay, well, so <laughs> no, 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 and and I have to be reminded that Tony Scott. Like I, I feel like I have to be reminded that Tony Scott directed this film. You know what I'm saying? No, I've always known it was Tony Scott. Well, I know that it's Tony Scott, but I'm saying like there's nothing about it that feels specifically Tony Scott. Literally, that makes no sense. I don't understand what you mean. So, if you go on to some of the later stuff that t- Tony Scott did, you know, there's um, a real sense of him capturing uh, a grittiness in the filmmaking. There's a high contrast element to okay uh, his films. Here, here's there's what I, a there's a real rapid fire kind of pacing that he he uses in the in the, all the movies that came out after Top Gun, they all have a certain lighting to them. Last Boy Scout, um, 
Days of Thunder. Uh-huh. See, now Days of Thunder is where I feel like we get into that Beverly style. Beverly Hills Cop 2. <laughs> no, but seriously. Yeah. All of those movies, yeah. he does these specific shots in all of those movies where, like in Beverly Hills Cop 2, there's a scene where he's the, the, um, the lieutenant, I don't know if it's the lieutenant, but they're, they're, he's running into the sun. Okay, he's running into the sun the whole time. It's like an opening shot mm-hmm. where a lot of the movie he's, or in the opening sequence, it's like the juxtaposed between these this woman coming in and like shooting him. But in the opening sequence, he's doing these running shots through Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. But you just see him, it's in the early morning, sun's rising. Do the same thing in Days of Thunder mm-hmm. when they have these these scenes with them him riding around the track mm-hmm. and they do the same thing in top gun yeah with the motorcycle and he's going to yeah the so there's a lot girls house that so when tony scott you, you can see that also last boy scout same thing last boy scout he does the exact same thing when um i can't think of the i can't think of his name um not bruce willis but his partner in that movie um i can't, believe I can't think of him damon wayans yeah damon wayans <clears throat> and his girlfriend are driving away and first time Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis get into a fight in front of Bruce Willis's house, he does a lot of those shots. The shots that he's using are like kind of, they always seem like they're in dusk. Yeah, he, he's a fan of Magic Hour. Yeah, he does a lot of dusk shots or dawn shots. Mm-hmm. So um, you can, you can looking at his movies, you can see a lot of the same right. type of camera yeah, work. I'm cool. Now later on, I'm sure he changed his style, but I mean originally you can always. Well, this was it. like it's it's a it's a little difficult with a filmmaker who adjusts their style so much like that. I will um, say though, I hate that style. I think it's which style? Those all all those movies I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think they all look terrible. I mean, it's very 80s. Yeah, I think it looks terrible, but with like Top Gun looks great with like the guitar solo. Well, I think Top Gun looks great. While you're seeing a sunset and yeah. silhouetted uh, Tom Cruise on a Harley. Yeah. The opening yeah. of Last Boy Scout is you can definitely tell it's the way he's shot Top Gun or trying to do it, but it's like at a uh, football stadium mm. and he's running around and he starts, a, a football player starts shooting everybody on the field. Yeah. But the way it's shot is similar to the way Top Gun is shot. But I hate the way it's shot because it's very, I don't know, it's, it's hard to decipher what's going on. Okay. Well, he gets points. Uh, so a finger for that. Uh, would you recommend Top Gun? Dude. Yes. Every day. Honestly? Absolutely, I would recommend Top awesome. Gun. Awesome, yeah! <laughs> that is absolutely... That's one of those movies where like, if somebody hadn't seen Top Gun, I'd be like, the fuck are you living under like, a rock? Hello, how have you never seen Top Gun? How have you not... Yeah, how, how have you not seen <laughs> Top Gun? Like, like people that's... say, people say to me, "You haven't seen The Big Lebowski," but I'm like, "Have you not seen Top Gun? How have you not seen Top Gun?" All right, Tony Scott for Top Gun gets four and a half. All right, okay, Corey, do we have a clear winner? Critical moment here. Let's take us from uh, bottom up. We've got seven uh, people here coming in at number seven. We have a tie for. Um, seventh with one and a half points each Woody Allen and James Ivory then coming in at now fifth is uh, Roland Joffe 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 there's an accent on the E I'm not sure how to how to go about that Um, maybe it's Yofi Yofi I don't know 
signing. Yeah, Jeff's sign languaging me that he has no clue. Uh, let's see. Coming in then at number four with four points is Oliver Stone. Number three with four and a half. There's a two-way tie between Tony Scott and David Lynch. And our top points getter with a perfect score Woo-hoo! for the movie Stand By Me, Mr. Rob Reiner. And I... I believe he deserved it. I completely agree with this switch. Um, I do think he should have gotten this this year. for He should have gotten the Academy Award. Now, David Lynch deserved... I would have been happy if David Lynch... I'm actually not too too sad that Oliver Stone won uh, for Platoon. I'm not. But I know that I was more impacted by Stand By Me as a film. I still am impacted by Stand By Me. I think that movie yeah. is a classic that can be watched anytime. It is one that if, if it comes on naturally on TV or if I come across scrolling it, it's one that I'm compelled to want to watch to to its completion. It's one of those ones that it's if, in the, if it's in the bin... At Walmart. Oh yeah, you're gonna I get think that about three dollar DVD. About that buying it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, those of you at the Academy offices, walk over to. Uh, oh, is Rob Reiner passed away? Is he still alive? Yes, dude. He just made like three mil, three films last year. He's he he's still alive. Okay, now you're making me want to check, but I yes, he's just he's still alive. Of course, he made three. Gary films Marshall last year. passed away. Gary Marshall is definitely dead. Gary Marshall and Penny Marshall both passed away. But Rob Reiner is alive. Rob Reiner is alive. Let me just let me just have Al double check. Because I, I, I was mean, gonna double check. I'm gonna have Al do it. I'll be very sad if if he is if he's passed and I didn't realize. Yep, live. Still live, cool. Yeah, I saw him on, uh, he was on some show, um, Real Time with Bill Maher or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, those of you at the Academy offices, walk over to um, Oliver Stone, take the Oscar out of his, his steely grip, and uh, give it to uh, Rob Reiner. Just walk over to his cubicle and place it nicely on his desk. Although I don't know if he owner. needs any more Oscars, but for us, yes. This particular one, he switch needs. the uh, switch the envelope and give it to Rob Reiner for yeah. "Stand by Me." Thank you for listening. Uh, subscribe and um, you know uh, listen to us on all of the streaming platforms. You can follow us on Twitter at Switch Envelope, or you can follow us on Instagram at Switch the Envelope. Uh, we're doing a, a new kind of thing on the Instagram uh, where we've uh, we've got a a sort of mascot that's going around. An intern, so, but a mascot, yeah. Hmm. What, what is this? In, we have an intern, intern we're not giving him a real name just because he sucks and we're going to make him do stuff for us. So we're just calling him Switchy. Switchy. Switchy, Switchy the intern. And we're sending Switchy out to uh, locations, film locations, to to take pictures and uh, take pictures of places of film locations. Yeah. Our favorite film locations in uh, different areas, in L.A. and Orange County, where we where we broadcast from. Yeah, so look look for those things on um, on Instagram. It's a bit of a game. You you see the location as it stands today, and then you kind of guess it. You kind of guess you can where le- it leave was. it in the comments, and then uh, you can swipe right and reveal uh, the location. Yeah, we have two up there right now. Corey, do you want to tell what ones we have right there right now? So right now we have um, a building that was in Irvine, right? A building that was in Irvine. We let was, I put up we put up what they were already. So it was uh, it was featured in which film, Jeff? 
It was featured in so many films. Lots of films. Elizabeth Town. Elizabeth Town. It was featured in Iron Man. It was mm-hmm. featured in the TV show Chuck. Yep. Uh, really, really, really iconic lobby to this uh, particular uh, building. It's kind of circular. There's like marble everywhere. It's sort of like anytime Hollywood needs like the uh, evil corporation lobby, they go to this particular building. Um, there's also on the flip side of it, if you go and watch the like the trailer to Elizabethtown, like one of the final shots is him walking down a sort of a, like a walkway. It's on the opposite side of that uh, lobby. There's a bunch of flags that line that uh, walkway. And that's been in a few movies as well. Um, that was one of the, the things that uh, was on there. What was the other one? The other one is... Um, um, the other one we took a picture of was the oh, Army-Navy surplus, Army, Navy store surplus Store in downtown Orange, which, right by the Orange Circle. Which is where they filmed That, that thing, thing You Do. do. That yeah. Thing You Do. Actually, the entire Orange Circle was used for That Thing You Do. They used uh, a place called Watson's, Watson's to fill a lot of the... But drug unfortunately, store, unfortunately, Watson's drug drug store was remodeled mm-hmm. and it was changed, so the interior no longer looks the way it did in the movie. No. In the movie, but um, we did take some pictures um, for you guys to see of the Army Navy surplus store. Mm-hmm. So Switchy brought some of those back, and we posted which, them, which has not changed. <laughs> yeah, no, the sign changed. is a little, you know, like it's not quite there anymore. Um, but the uh, facade of that building has not changed, and most of uh, the circle in orange has not changed. But uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna go out, uh, send Switchy out, and uh, take some pictures of some iconic filming locations. So you can follow that on our Instagram at uh, the Switch the Envelope. And we do that for you guys. So if you guys ever want to come, some of you guys might be movie dorks like us and you might want to go out and find some of these locations and go hunting one day maybe you can make a little map and go around finding some famous maybe movie we'll film locations yeah maybe we'll make a map mm-hmm. and then go out and kind of see where these films were were lo- were filmed that's something that I love to do so um all right enough enough fucking around i'm thinking that there's potential there to make a little youtube video a youtube channel thing of uh, movie locations as a Added, added element. I think we could. Yeah, maybe we'll we'll consider that. All right. So, one thing left to do, Jeff. What is that? Well, there's only one thing left to do at the end of our episode. We need to dedicate our episode to the one, the only star of the movie Blue Lightning. Mm. In the movie Blue Lightning, character. Give me a character name. You want a character name? I'll give you a character name. Oh. We have character Harry Wingate. <laughs> Harry Wingate. Harry Wingate. Oh, great character name. So the character Harry Wingate in the movie Blue Lightning was played by none other than Sam Elliott. What character did his mustache play? His mustache played Harry Wingate's mustache. Oh, cool. So once again, we're going to dedicate this episode to the star of Blue Lightning, Sam Elliott. <laughs> and I'm unfor- unfortunately he fucking lost the s- supporting actor this year. He um he lost out to Mahershala Ali. Right? Mahershala Ali already has an Academy yeah, Award. He already got one of those. He got one last year. You know what? If I were Mahershala Ali, I would have like walked up. By the way, Mahershala Ali on True, True Detective this year, fan fucking amazing, fan fucking fantastic. Oh my gosh! But, like I know the music is playing. We'll we'll, we'll wrap well, this yeah, up. Yeah, shut fine. the fucking music off. We're talking about Mahershala Ali. Mahershala Ali and True Detective is amazing. Playing like three generations of of that character. By the way, we were starting to talk about how Sam Elliott got robbed, and now we started talking about oh, Mahershala Ali. Yeah. Oh, no, and then we just went off on how great Mahershala Ali is. If I were Mahershala so, uh, Ali, and I won that award, 
I would have gone up there. Mustache. I would have gone up there and been like, "I already got one of these things. I thank you, but I'm gonna have to give this award to Sam Elliott's mustache." (laughs) There was like three. I was watching the Oscars, and there was like three jokes made about his mustache at the Oscars. Oh yeah. (laughs) All right. So there's the there's the music. It's queued up. All right. So, um, okay, okay, Al, he's playing us off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, thank you for listening, and Corey, why don't you tell us, why don't you get us out of here? Bye. <laughs> Is there something I need to say? I don't know, just sign off. Uh, go, go watch movies. I don't so, know. All I right, later. I don't have a sign off. I thought the, <laughs> I thought the dedication was the sign off. I'm already walking out the door. All right.